for this day, and we thank you and worship you, Father. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, yea, in our lives, as it is and has always been in the heavens. Thank you for daily bread and all the provisions of life, spiritual, physical, all of these things. What do we have that we have not received or from you and through you and to you are all things. And we acknowledge that with joy and with grateful hearts. We thank you. Forgive us, Lord, of our transgressions. Uh, we ask, Father, that the Spirit of God would now search our hearts and do so daily, that we might uh, confess our sin and turn from it, that we might uh, strive by your grace alone to live a life that's pleasing to you as we run the race and do uh, that which you have ordained and appointed for us to do in advance. And so we pray for that, Lord. Forgive us, cleanse us. We forgive those, Lord, who sin against us, or that's pocket change, Lord, in comparison to our own sin. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that you'd lead us not into temptation. We live in a world fraught with much danger, and Luther said many devils. And we ask, Lord, you know how weak and puny and frail and small and, uh, and vulnerable we really are. We ask that you would lead us not into places where we would deny you or disgrace you, for we bear your name in our very heart and soul. So we're thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here this morning. And we have gathered now to look into the Word of God, the wonderful scriptures. Thank you for the book of all books. And we ask that the Spirit of God would teach us, that we'd uh, give our attentiveness, Lord, and ask you to search our hearts to see that these things are so and right and pleasing before you that we might do your good and perfect will. We pray for that and we'll thank you for it. Lord, we ask that you bless the little ones in their Sunday school class now and some of the older ones as they meet and as we look into the word. Change us again, we pray, Lord, as a result of being here. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, your, your, I hope you can read your handout. Can you read that? I hope that's not a problem. I, it's a, it's a point eight type, <laughs> and I, I discover with point eight I get more on a page. It's still larger than the than what Mark Minium can write. I, mean, <laughs> I think yours is like point what four or something. I couldn't even read it, but. Uh, this is what I normally am able to get to Bonnie, and Bonnie translates that into a readable type, but uh, the turkey got in the way this week and out of town, and so yours truly was pecking away at this late last night, because I just wanted to make sure you had something uh, in your Bible, something to study with, so that uh, you would have that uh, for your own record. That Remember again, uh, your assignment is, is to absorb this material through this week, study it all week, Keep it in your Bible, and then pass it on. Hey, let me tell you what I learned this week. Let me tell you what Pastor said. And then pass uh, on the gold nuggets from God's wonderful word that you receive. Pass it on. You might be surprised. You will be surprised how God will use that. I've entitled the message today, How Are We to Be Saved? How are we to be saved? We're looking at Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and we're going to pick it up as we continue 
uh, in this uh, glorious account, the gospel of certainty, how are we going to be saved? You know, one of the great questions of life is what lies beyond the grave? You know, you think of some of the, the, the four or five great questions of life. You think about where did I come from? You know, you can, you can read all the, go to all the schooling you want, just keep on going and going and going and going as you listen to men and women's reasonings. And uh, apart from scripture, you'll never discover the answer to that. Uh, what am I supposed, who am I? That's another one of the great ones. Who am I? Not like, well, I'm Terry Spolsky, how are you? Glad to meet you. Good to meet you, Bill. Good to, no, not that. Who am I really? I mean, the, am I just the protoplasm and the biochemical electrical shock? And here I am for this time, and, 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 and you're there, and you're really there. You're not a figment of my imagination, uh, and you're not me. Have you noticed that? How that is, uh, I mean, some people, the objective reality is that they, you know, it's all in your mind. No, it's not really all in your mind. Truth is not subjective. It's you're really there, I'm really here, we're here for a time, who am I really? That's one of the great questions. Another one is, uh, what am I supposed to be doing now? You know, a lot of people will order your life, right? We have parents and bosses and all that. They kind of lay out, this is what you're supposed to do today and accomplish, these kind of things. And, uh, but another one of them is certainly, and that's what we're going to look at today, is where am I going? Where, where am I going? What is there after death? You know, life after death. I have on your sheet there, uh, what lies beyond the grave? Uh, even Job, in his deep, deep suffering, uh, asks this very question in the book that bears his name. And uh, did I get, did I spell the word bears right there? I had a B-A-R-E-S, and I go like, I think it's like the teddy bear. Anybody know English well enough to know that? Raj, did I get that? I don't Yeah. Oh, I did? Yeah, yeah, uh, okay. Better than beers. Better than beers? What? What? What's it? B-E-E. Oh, beers. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk to, talk to me later. Thanks, <laughs> 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 right, Stephen. That bears his name, right? In Job 14, 14, Job asks, if a man dies, will he live again? There he is. He's dealing with that, uh, one of the great questions of life, uh, the metaphysical question on uh, what happens after the grave. What lies beyond, I want to ask that, what lies beyond the few days of your life? You know, it's a wise man or woman that realizes life is going, going, and almost gone. That's that Psalm 90. That's not only Mickey Mantle when he hit another one over the fence, going, going, and it's gone. That, I, I like, that's a good way to think about your life. It's vapor, it's going, in the few days of your life, in the few days of, as we journey along, and it's amazing that God had us together, that we should meet on this path, isn't that interesting? And we all have a different, but we're all here for this period of time, and, uh, and so, but what, uh, what, what is it? What, uh, what about your few days of life? And what, uh, what lies beyond it for you? Well, there are many who offer all sorts of answers to that age-old question. John Lennon, in one of his best-known songs, right? He imagines that there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Uh, what, a, what a horrible thought uh, that is, uh, to think that there's no heaven. And whenever I hear that, now it's elevator music at best. Oh, sometimes you hear some nice friends. You all know the song, right? I go, like, no thank you, John. No thank you. I, I don't want to. Right yeah, I don't want. Yeah, that's right. His life was <clears throat> terribly 
uh, snuffed out there in the streets of New York City. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no. Others suggest that life here is hell. You know, this is hell. This is awful. And, and in a way, what they're saying is that uh, the dust of death is everywhere, as Randy Schaefer would say. The effects of uh, living in a fallen world, the land of the dying, not the land of the living, we're going to that, is there's heartbreak, sorrow, loss, disappointment, suffering, and then they say, and then you die. This is H-E-L-L. -L. Well, I've heard people say that, and they've said that to you as well. Uh, and then, while well, others suggest, and others teach, and this is very common in our culture, that the life, I mean, they're existential. It's just here and now, and that's it. And when you're dead, you're like a dog to throw you in a hole. That's it. That's it. That's all over. It's all over. It goes back in the box, and boom. That's it. Well, and so on it goes, and we could give more and more ideas. But Jesus, praise God for that. And incidentally, he's the only one that ever came from heaven to tell us the real deal on this thing uh, cuts through the fog of all this nonsense of man's foolish musings, and he tells us of the glory and the splendor, and in fact, in the, his wonderful word, heaven is really home. Don't you love the word home? <laughs> great, to, great to have Alexa. Alexa, great to have you home from Boston. And uh, I saw Jesse. Jesse's over here. Jesse, you're flying around now, right? Yeah, I had to laugh. Josh told me the other week, he said that you get to fly airplanes all over the place, and he can't even drive the car. <laughs> it was something like that. Where's Josh? He said, just like, just like that. And uh, John and Taylor are back. You guys are back. It's great to, great to be home. Great. Jesus said it's home. Paul said it, right? To be absent of the body, to be at home. Home. What a wonderful home for Christmas. Now we're going to start hearing it. I'll be home for Christmas, right? Who sings that? That, that Big Crosby? I'll be home. One of those. Home. Uh, who is it? Day Chris. Okay, that's right. Not Dave Bing. He was a Celtic player, wasn't he? Yeah, that's all those things. Bing, bing, bing. Yep. Well, he, and the Lord, the only one there who ever came around, tells us of the wonder and the splendor of heaven. It is more, is greater than we could ever imagine. Imagine that. Now, the Lord has given us something to do here and now. And he doesn't tell us a whole lot about heaven, enough so that we know that much. Because life can be pretty tough. I mean, there come a point where even the great saints so not get weary and tired and discouraged. You go like, well, that's it. I'm out of here. You know, and, uh, but it's the Lord who gives and the Lord who takes life and not ourselves. So we don't hear too much of it. But uh, he tells us about that. And he tells us that hell is as horrible, but in the opposite extreme. You don't want to be there. You don't want to end up there. And furthermore, when asked, now note this now, Jesus told of the only possible ways, intentionally, it's plural, ways of ever receiving eternal life. Now watch this now. I'm not doing smoke and mirrors here today, but he tells of the ways in which a man or woman can receive the gift of salvation of eternal life. And Dr. Luke is going to put these two conversations together in the show by way of a huge contrast that there are only two possible ways. Now catch it now, not a trick. Only two possible ways for you to enter, enter heaven upon your death. And I'm going to urge you right now at the beginning, don't be fooled by taking the wrong road. Now let's look at our passage. We better do that quickly. When in doubt, look at the word, right? Luke 18. Let's pick it up at verse 15. 
and we're going to see the account that's dearly loved and told throughout all the centuries of time. And in fact, uh, any children's Bible has some sort of, if they have pictures in it, renditions of Jesus feeding five, they'll always include a rendition of this where the Lord receives. And as some of you learned it in the King James, and it's what? Suffer, I never could figure that one out, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God, right? I want to suffer. That's an old English uh, idea was simply allow them. The word suffer meant allow. So let's read it in the ESV in verse 15. Uh, now they were bringing even infants to Jesus, him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, uh, uh, called them to him, saying, here it is, let or suffer, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. And then verse 18, the second conversation. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why... Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Wow. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Let's draw the line there. There, there are these two conversations, uh, to, uh, the pr presentation of two possible ways, according to Jesus, for you to enter heaven upon your death. The first possible way is, number one, you must receive salvation as a gift, as if you were a child, or like a child. Verse 5, 15, 16, and 17. Now, the Lord wants us to make sure we get this because in his infinite wisdom, he includes this account in three out of the four uh, gospel accounts. There are only a few things that are repeated in everyone, the resurrection, and there are a few, uh, uh, and, and there are only a few things that are carried three times, and so by emphasis, through repetition, and we need that, don't we? Repeat that again. What's that? Hey, repeat that again, teacher. And he does that. He wants us not to miss this that we must receive salvation as a gift like a child. One day while Jesus was in the midst of very busy ministry, there were parents attempting to bring their little children to him so that he might touch them, actually Luke says, and by doing so, bless them. Now, what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, can you imagine that? Parents want the very best for their children, don't they? That they think uh, 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 this education or this way is better or that sports or this training or this or that or health or all these kind of things, and, and here's the Lord Jesus, and, and uh, these parents want the very best for this. So they bring, and the word is not, it's the infants. Uh, ESV translates it, right? It's not young children, but it's the smallest one. They were holding their little ones and bringing them to Jesus that he might 
he might touch them. When I, uh, years ago, it used to be common for, uh, if you had a, a great, and Roger, maybe you know this, you'd have a, a great renowned theologian or pastor, a pastor of some renown, uh, that maybe you went and you heard him, uh, uh, Dave Jeremiah was here recently, and Hershey, and, and some of you go, did you guys go and see? Yeah, and uh, sometimes they'll and sometimes they'll do a Bible signing. You know, like, hey, will you sign the very front of my Bible? You know, I remember I had that with two little kids came up one time and said, Pastor, will you sign the front of my Bible? Steve, you remember that. That used to be a more common thing, you know, and, uh, and, and so on. Uh, that you, you'd have something like that. Or Dave Jeremiah, R.C. Sproul's, I mean, when, uh, in different times, your voices like that, your Rikens, and I have some of these in their books and so on and so forth. I treasure them. Uh, to approach them and ask. And parents want the very best for their children. So here they are bringing their little ones to Jesus. He's probably just taught them or whatever, the press of the crowd. And yet uh, uh, here he is. And they're thinking, well, if uh, he could simply bless or pray for my children or touch them, uh, they'll be forever blessed by that. Well, the disciples are running interference. They're like the Secret Service here, right? You know, they got, the, they got the suits on, they're standing around him. Uh, don't, don't even think it. You're not getting near him, right? You, you look suspicious anyway, you know? So, no, hey, he, uh, and we, we don't really exactly know their thinking. Some were thinking, well, you know, uh, the children, yeah, that's really uh, less important. And uh, that wastes his time. Uh, uh, maybe he's tired. Uh, uh, these guys, we, we don't know. So we're left to, uh, to guess as to why uh, they uh, hindered the little ones, the parents of bringing their little ones to Jesus. And Jesus, in the text that we just read, he rebukes gently his disciples, and he opens his arms to receive these little ones. It's such a beautiful picture that has encouraged people of all statute around the world through all generations. I mean, uh, if he, he welcomes the smallest of life, the nobodies, that maybe there's room at his side in his presence for me. And can you see how that would be such a blessed thought uh, for people that are down and out or hurting or persecuted or, or just uh, having a, a very difficult human existence and to hear the wonderful story of Jesus welcoming children. Uh, it, it's just it's glorious to me, really. It, it is, I said, is a common picture in most children's Bible. If they have any portraits at all, that is certainly there. It shows, by the word doing this, it shows this great love for children. It does. And, and, you know, as a church, we, we, we've got to have a love for children and love for the little ones and, and not count them or discount them because they're somehow small of stature, not able, not certainly not able to help the church budget certainly not able to teach or help serve in some office or capacity. They're, they're young, and especially the littlest ones, you know, and we have to have a vision and a heart and an eye for that, you know, and uh, when we hear them crying in the nursery when things aren't separated with soundproof, well, not be annoyed. Oh, well, there's a little one. That could be a preacher in the making, just practicing those lungs, you know, or maybe a teacher, maybe a future, you know, you just and, and have a heart for that. And, uh, and so on. I, Jesus loved children, and people that love the Lord ought to have that same love for children. Also shows the gentleness of the Lord. You think about that. 
right? How many of you, having a little uh, infant child, would uh, would haphazardly give that child to be held by someone you weren't? You, you had questions about whether they were going to be rough or not careful, but it shows there was a gentleness that they could give him, and he received. Now, now take one step back. He's the creator now. Now, what does that show you about the glory of God? And this is God in flesh. This is the radiance of the Father. If you want to know God, look at Jesus and how he interacts and all that. He welcomes the smallest of life and he holds it. And if he's sitting down, like a lot of the children's Bible, if they're sitting on his lap, he's holding them. I have to tell you, uh, at an early age, I came from a large family. Uh, God, uh, and I was second of seven, so I was on the top end. And the, the little ones that came along, and, and I have had the deepest, greatest love for children from the youngest of ages. I, my youngest brothers, my sisters, I mean, the ones that are right under me, that, that's, they were a little close. But as I got older, the ones came along, and to play with them, they slept with me. I, you know, I built three houses, I taught them all kinds of stuff, I coached their little league teams, and whatever, I, I just, I, I love and I couldn't wait if God would allow me to marry and have children and now grandchildren are, are, are even the, the greatest thing. Amen? Amen. 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 Yeah. All right. There we go. <laughs> they are uh, this is so great and, and, and to be able to to uh, spend time and to play with them and it's so great. I just love it so much. Um, well, it does. On your sheet, I have it. It revealed certainly Jesus' love for all, even the most insignificant person in the world. The, the idea is that God's not too busy. Uh, I mean, who of, who of any person, of any statute, is really of any, any uh, uh, size or worth before God? Uh, you're really important, you know, like I am. <laughs> you know, like, if you're not, you know, it's like <laughs> the pecking order. is so funny. We're all down here like dust, you know. Like, and uh, that dust has a little more value than that dust. And, and so here he is, the creator of glory. He can, it makes the time, receives them, hugs them, prays with them, touches them. And that's, a, that's really what you ought to be. The children ought to, if you love the Lord Jesus, children will know that, uh, that, you, that you love him and that you welcome them. And, uh, and so kids have a, a way to do that. And so we too, I say, I'd be, we too should be encouraged to bring, help bring chi uh, children to Jesus. I can't wait until the days come where we have a full educational hour in graded Sunday school. I, I'm, I, 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 I love you guys, and I love teaching adults. I'm going to teach the kids. Uh, I'm going to, Faith and I'm going to take one of the classes, and we're going to, you know, like you guys are sort of in cement, and there's not too much movement there. Yeah, there is. But uh, the kids, there's all the cement's wet. And I want to just, uh, if I can, the love of Jesus to them. I can say, and we want to do an educational hour, and we want to grow up a church here at the Lordship Terry, have a heart for families and mixed families and kids that don't. I mean, I have a, that's my heart and desire. And I see that's where we're headed as a church. We need to pray for that. And, and so on. And, and so we ought to help bring Jesus. I can't wait till we have Bible school, vacation Bible school, and uh, all kinds of things and grow that all up. How do we do that? How do we encourage, um, uh, how can we help bring children to Jesus? How can we do that? I have it on your sheet there. We can bring them to Jesus when we read Bible stories to them. You know, plant these truths of God's word in their heart when they're very young. I mean, bath time is a great time to do that. 
Do that with your children. Do that with your grandchildren if you can. Read the, the Bible stories for them. I, we found that before bed, that's a very tender time. And let them go to sleep thinking about some of the great stories of the Bible. You plant that deep into their heart. And once it's there, God can draw that out later and use it accordingly. And so I, Bible stories, uh, we, can, we can call them the faith and repentance. I mean, even at a year early age, you don't want to rush them. But uh, as God, it's God who brings them to salvation. But keep sowing, keep sowing. You know, when it's a great time when they disobey. They're, they're like you. They're going to disobey. You know, and so when you confront them and deal with them, and you call that sin, and, and that they they didn't honor God by obeying their, you know, mom and dad, call that sin, and because of that sin, Jesus died. It's a natural, you see, and they need to be contrite and explain it in children language and be sorry and I, I remember Sarah telling us with our little Taylor that she's quite bright she takes she takes after her grandmother and uh, she was saying and Taylor's uh, uh, five now and this was a year ago uh, that Sarah was correcting little Taylor and then saying that you're a, you're a sinner Taylor and Jesus died he died uh, to pay for that sin. And she said to, she stopped Sarah right at that and said, Mommy, stop that. I'm going to start crying right now. At four years old, had the tender reality that she knew she was a sinner. She knew what she did was wrong. And she just nurturing that, nurturing that, nurturing. You know, most Christians come to saving faith as children. I mean, and if a church doesn't have a, if, if you don't have a, a view for children, I mean, we can win adults, praise God, for whatever age God draws them and wins them. But, uh, you know, an adult's life is sort of half shot up and half used up. Have you ever thought about that? When they come in, we're glad for that. But a child, if God has saved them at an early age and nurtured that through a parents or a mom or a Sunday school teacher, and the, they'll live the, all their life for the Lord Jesus, if God would be pleased to do that. And so, and third, how else can we do it? By praying for God to bless them. Praying for our children, the children in our church, and children in our neighborhood, and, and, and this kind of a thing. I take this very seriously. I, I, I do that. I pray for uh, our children. I pray, as I pray for you by name, but I pray for my own children and the grandchildren and their families, and I pray for their pastors. That's uh, typically Saturday night. Well, so it was a little bit unusual, but I remember their pastors and their sermons and, and their nurturing and caring and feeding for my family that's scattered. They're in Georgia, North Carolina, and Indiana, and so and they're all part of good churches. We're thankful for that, and I know their pastors appreciate them. So bring the, the baby yet unborn. Bring that unborn baby to Jesus. Bring the little girl with a disability to Jesus. Bring the little boy who loves to disobey. Bring that one. Bring them. Bring them all. Bring them to Jesus. And, and, and don't hinder them from coming. Uh, Jesus used this event in verse 17 uh, to, to tell us again how it is one can enter uh, into eternal life in heaven. He tells us in verse 17. Let's reread that uh, again. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child 
shall not enter into it. He's talking about that. Jesus uh, 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 here, he, he, uh, he tells that the, uh, and, and number one, he tells that one must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Don't be confused. That's simply a shorthand expression for salvation and its blessing. Receive the kingdom of God. I say, well, what's that? Just a shorthanded way of uh, saying, I receive salvation and all the blessings of it. And the only way to gain eternal life is to come to Jesus like a little child. Well, when we think of that, then what are some of the characteristics and qualities of a child that one must possess if we are to have heaven as our home forever and ever? What about that? Well, I've listed a few. Some of the authors that I, I read that suggested even more than this, but here's a couple of them. What uh, if we have to be childlike? Doesn't, certainly doesn't mean to be childish. There is an immaturity and a childishness. When I was a child, I acted like a child. When I became a man, I put away childhood. He's not talking about that, but there are certain qualities about a child that simply parallel what you and I must do to receive eternal life. So what, is, what are the, some of the qualities of a child? Well, children have a wide eye wonder, don't they? Wide eye wonder. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, really, when you think about it. My mother used to talk a lot about that, that the, the one of the things she loved about children was their imagination, their wonder. And, uh, and a, lot, a lot of the nursery stories and, and children's stories play into that. And uh, she thought it was so great, this wonder, the wide-eye wonderment that children have at young age. Now, they, they begin to question that, and it gets hard, and, they, and so on, and they may lose that in time and become hardened or skeptical or whatever, but that wide-eye wonder uh, is, uh, is a wonderful thing, really, and God wants us to wonder at him with the same sense of awe. Uh, I saw, I, 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 you'll have to forgive me because I'm going to tell some fibs here on myself, but uh, I, 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 I say I couldn't help myself. You say, well, you lied. Well, I did. I, I'll just say it right up front. Uh, Taylor said to me, the uh, last, uh, about six months ago, I was down there, little Taylor, five years old, she asked, she's into this imaginative world of superheroes and all these things, and, and so she looked at me with wide eyes and asked me if I was a spy. <laughs> and nobody else was around. So I go like, yes, but you can't tell anybody. That's not a good thing. You should never, never have secrets with children and their parents. And so I sent there too. But uh, uh, and so she's like, her eyes are so big, and she's imagining her papa being a. And do you have a mission? And is that a secret watch? And are you? On, and I'm like, it, it caught me. I, I got caught up in it. I'm like, calling her these men. She promises not to tell anyone. And uh, until the, the next morning, she's telling your mother that, uh, I, that Papa's a spy. And then, then, then my, my, this is not funny to my daughter. Because <laughs> <laughs> and so she's wanting me to confess right before my granddaughter that I was lying. Well, I used every evasive trick that I could possibly fess up and ruin my, because she's like, our secret, you know, is this this why? You know, like, you can't do that. When I went up to Roger and said I'm a spy, he said, like, you know, I'm worried about you, you know, or something. You know, like, <laughs> like Sean Connery. <laughs> I do? You don't. Oh, I don't. No. 
and this and it goes back even when uh, I don't know why, but uh, even when my kids were little, we were in Clark's Summit living, and Jonathan said to me one day, and he's about three, and he goes like, "Well, Dad, how strong are you really?" He's he always was someone who came into the room and he wanted to know who's in charge. I mean, that's the youngest thing. Who's in charge here? You know, <laughs> and he, <laughs> the authority structure, you know. And then he's like, I'm like, how strong are you really, Dad? Now, little guy. Little guy to his dad, right? His dad is like, and I go like, no, I don't know. What should I say? You see the house over there? On the corner of the house? He goes like, yeah, Dad. I said, I can lift that up. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. Why die? Like, my dad's the strongest dad. You know, I, I had the same conversation with Kevin Rosart when I was a little kid. My dad could beat your dad up. You know, he's stronger. No, he is. Yes, he is. You know, this kind of, you wonder what little boys talk about when they're sitting on the curb, you know, before dinner or something. This is what their kind of thing. They're, they're talking. Anyway, wide-eyed children, right? And uh, that's some of the fun of, of vacation or Disney. They go, yes, oh, wide-eyed. You see, that's the child-likeness that we ought to have with God. And we look at the and we look at the creation like oh yeah I know tomorrow will come oh yeah I know the stars are yeah the sun oh yeah it's harvest time yeah winter's coming ah. we ought to live in this world enthralled with the with the messages and the glory of God not only in natural revelation in the creation well what a God we serve but what salvation go like yeah, I still can't get over it's the greatest love story just kind of like wide eyed. I think that's part of, of being saved. Is you're just kind of like, what's another one? A second quality. Uh, not only wide-eyed, but children possess a full-minded faith, don't they? They believe what you tell them. They do. They take a total trust what people give them. God wants this of his children. Kids, kids believe you. They do. Now, don't raise your hand. I don't want to ruin anyone's day, but how many of you guys believed in a fat guy with a red suit, and then he actually went down a chimney. And, uh, and uh, raise your hand if you're sure. Let's see. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, some of you are lying. Come on, you're just lying. In church, you're lying. And, uh, I never believe that stuff. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I did, and when I finally stumbled out of the reality that uh, maybe it doesn't work that way, like I come on and I work with my brother, do we still get gifts? If we know it sort of doesn't happen with the fat guy, you know, the red suit and uh, and Rudolph. You know, but for years, right? And then when I lost teeth, the tooth fairy, right? Got to put it under your pillow. My mother said, tooth fairy, you know, like, isn't that something? Kids, boy, aren't they stupid? No, they just trust me. They trust. They do. They trust easily. And that's part of the heart and the core of what he's saying here. We have to be like, what, God says it? That's it. He says, I'll take care of you. What are you worried about? It's my job, not yours. You know, I I take care of you all this time, but I'll continue. Trust him. What a sad thing when the people of faith act in unbelief. It's kind of like a gross oxymoron, right? Yeah, I'm a believer who's in unbelief. (laughs) I'm trusting, but I don't trust. You know, and, and that's what God wants us to do. Just like, just like children do that, to take God at his word. And I remember uh, uh, bit by bit by bit, um, you, 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 you begin to sort things out, whether that's really true or not. I remember the first time 
Uh, I, grew, I was with Tommy Murphy's father, and he was a fireman, but he worked on cars, and he was changing a tire in his car, and he said, yeah, filling this uh, car up, uh, filling the tire up with air, and, and you know, there's no tubes in that, that tire. And I go like, and all that, my world was bicycle. Bicycle tube, bicycle tire. I go like, oh, no, you're lying. Oh, he got really mad at me, because uh, why would I lie to you about something? And I, there can't be a tube in there. I mean, there has to be a tube in there. No, he got really upset. And I began, I realized, wait, well, he's a, all right, if he's, okay, I guess. You know, and they turned out to be right. The tubeless tires in our cars today. Children believe, you know, we, we take what our parents say at those tender early ages, and that's what God wants us. God said it, and that settles it. How about a third? Children have a wholehearted love, don't they? They have a wholehearted love. They go up to complete strangers, smiling, arms open, ready to love and be loved. It's so beautiful. I mean, I, I, we saw that in Pittsburgh two weeks ago when Faith and I had to watch Emery while Harper was recovering. And, uh, and, and Emery, she, in a room, you hug her and cuddle her, she's just a love bug, you know, kind of a thing. But if she senses someone else is going somewhere, she's going whatever who she thinks is going. And she's like, <laughs> you know, like, get me out of here. And, and Sarah said at the airport, she was making faces and smiling and this, this guy is sitting all alone in the airplane, uh, row back or something, and, and by the time it was done, she's like, oh, 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 he's gonna go off the airplane with a complete stranger. He could have been Jack the Ripper number two or something, you don't know. There are, you know, it is a fallen world, but she's like, oh, to, to give love and to receive love. Isn't that, isn't that another uh, characteristic that God wants of us as children to be childlike? To love God with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, to know Him is to love Him. God desires that. And what's the first great commandment? To love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength, and uh, and so on, like a child does. It's a beautiful thing. The rough winds of reality, child abuse, other things happen, and there's a loss of that beautiful innocency. We're not saying that children are are sinless. We're not even saying children are good. They're born lost. They need to be saved. But there are some beautiful naivety and innocencies that are, are beautiful. That's why the law is, is really tough on people that would harm and abuse children, save the, the destruction of the unborn baby. And it grieves me deeply on that. But uh, uh, you, can, you can do certain things. But if it involves a child, the law still, the law will still throw the book at you for doing that. Uh, even in, in our crazy mixed up world today. Well, uh, they have a wholehearted love, don't they? And I love that so much. But number four and last, most importantly, children are totally dependent upon others for their every need. They're helpless. They're, we're, we're helpless. Do you know you came in the world completely helpless? You were, a, you were an utter disaster for a lot of years. I mean, people patted your bottom with... Uh, with baby powder or cornstarch and diapered you and fed you and burped you and, and your mother or your father or somebody did it and they did all kinds of things and you know what? They did it the next day and then the next day and the next day and it went on for a long, long time before you even knew anything. I, you were totally dependent. I mean, human beings, I've read, are the most helpless of all offspring. I mean, it's amazing to me to see uh, a, a, a horse uh, uh, give uh, birth to a colt, and after a few moments, 
that colt is standing on its feet. It's, it's something to behold, to see the beauty of that. Uh, I have yet to see a child stand up, you know, within an hour of its dead. I'm, I'm finally here stretching a little bit. That was, you know, never happened. Never for a long time. Totally helpless and dependent. And dependent upon whatever they're giving. I mean, you graze the cheek of a nursing baby and just graze that, and that, that little girl, that little baby, will open its mouth and start to suckle because it's, that's the life-giving nourishment that it's been receiving. It'll, it'll receive whatever it's given. I mean, uh, and so on. I mean, I remember trying to uh, work with the strain food, the baby foods, and all that. Oh, no, it's too soon. No, you got to, oh, no, faith, you got to, you got to mix it up, and this, and bring them along, a little bit of, you know, this, not too, they don't eat steak right away. Have you noticed that? You just kind of, you bring them along. And clothing, they, they don't, they don't clothe. And, and they don't say at those early ages, do they? They don't say, oh, no thanks, I can do this myself. Or they don't say, oh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> They're totally and utterly dependent. And I think that's the key characteristic that the Lord is saying here. We have to become like children, utterly, totally dependent on God for our salvation, who has provided it all, and we simply receive salvation, what God has done. That's it, like a little child. That's his point, and that's Luke's point in presenting this here, juxtaposed to the second uh, conversation. So Jesus is saying, this is the way to heaven. This is the way to heaven. We must declare a total and utter dependency upon the Lord, offering him nothing and having nothing to give. I mean, he paid it all, and like little children, uh, we receive it as a gift. It's not Jesus plus me. Not, uh, I'm the problem. It's all of him, Jesus alone. Uh, only to the cross I bring, nothing in my hand I bring. I'm totally and utterly dependent upon God. And you are anyway. All people are. They just uh, suppress that knowledge, hold it down, uh, think of themselves larger than what they are, more independent. But we stand on a rock that's supported by nothing and moving at incredible speeds, and God holds it in constant. The weather, the seasons, and these things. We eat, eat the grain and the livestock that's grown on this earth. And uh, we are totally, and we're here for a short time, totally dependent upon him. Well, there are only two possible ways for you to enter heaven upon your death. Don't be fooled. You'll either receive salvation as a gift like a child or the second account. And we're not going to highlight a lot of the detail there. We're going to wrap this up on 18 through actually 27. The second way is that you must keep God's commands perfectly without fail. That's it. I mean, there, there once was a time uh, when a man approached Jesus. He's called the rich young ruler. Uh, and he uh, asked the Lord what one thing could he do to be sure that heaven would be his after death. I mean, he had everything in life. He was wealthy, the Bible says. In the, he was very wealthy. But he wanted assurance for his future. He wanted the assurance that salvation would be his when he closed his eyes in the sleep of death. Now we discover that he's a good man for sure. He is, but he's not. He's an unsaved man. He was not a perfect man. He's a good man. But you know, hell has many, many good people in it. Did you know that? 
a lot of good people in hell. They miss it. They miss it. Like this man, at least at this point in his life, he had everything, and yet he wanted the assurance for his future in heaven. Well, let's look at the account. Jesus rebukes the man for saying, a good teacher, a ruler asked in verse 18, good teacher, what must I do? It's the doing here to inherit eternal life. Jesus is rebuking him. Why do you call me good? It's not to say Jesus is denying that he is good. He is. But uh, Jesus knows the man is simply using flattery. Uh, flattery will get you nowhere, the expression. He's uh, simply sucking up to the teacher here at hand, if you will. Uh, and he wants to force him to express his thinking. No one is good except God alone. I mean, that's a, a true statement, right? And if no one is good and God alone, and you call me good, then the uh, syllogism is that Jesus is God. But he doesn't go that far. He's simply flattering the Lord. And so the Lord's going to answer his question now. Well, you know the commandments, you know, and he's going to cite five of the ten. And he cites the five that relate to people. Uh, he goes on and says, uh, Jesus says, uh, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And, uh, I mean, he could have given the whole list of ten, uh, but he gives the five that are more easily measured, right? Uh, it's hard to know uh, from, with the eyeball whether uh, you've broken the first commandment, have no other gods before me. You know? A lot can go on in the heart. Uh, and this kind of, but among people, it's more easily to see uh, that you've broken the commandment. So, and incidentally, the commandments have a positive and a negative to them. Uh, for example, uh, uh, in, uh, in do not commit, uh, do not commit adultery, uh, is the negative statement. The positive would be that uh, sexual purity. You're to love your spouse and be faithful in word, thought, and deed. Pornography would be a violation. It would be a negative, you see. And so the positive and the negative in word, thought, and deed. Now how about stealing? Do not steal. That's a negative. But the positive to that would be use what God has given you to be a blessing to those that have need. Give. Give and share. And so on. So uh, he... Uh, uh, and so uh, he, look at C then. Uh, further, he tells that if anyone wants to be saved by doing, in essence, Jesus say, he or she must keep all of the commandments. All of them. And the man, in a deluded sense, what delusion it is, all of these I have kept from my youth. Can you imagine that? All of these. Well, the Lord looks into his very heart and knows the story isn't quite so. And so uh, I'm reminded if we do not come to God ready to receive grace like a little child, then the only way that you and I can be saved is by keeping God's law and doing it perfectly. Otherwise, the wages of sin is death. And if we break the law in one place, we break it as a lawbreaker. Well, the man was confident that he had kept it until Jesus 
peers into his heart, knows the story exactly in verse 22, and revealed the idol that he had already broken the first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, and he had many gods before him, namely his wealth. And wealth can be godlike, can't it? Uh, it's a, I, I'm come to the opinion almost where if God wants to, to judge a people, uh, he prospers them. The, the, I'm really convinced for every 10 people that will love the Lord and serve him in adversity, trouble, sorrow, loss, maybe one. Maybe it's a 10 to 1 ratio in the midst of prosperity. Prosperity weakens us. We end up loving the gifts that he gives more than the gift giver. It kind of clutters up our hearts and our lives and, and we're distracted. And, uh, and wealth is like that. In Americans, we're all wealthy. You don't think like, well, he must be talking about Warren Buffett here. No, he's talking about all of us. By world standards and historical standards, we're wealthy. And wealth is like that, you know. Wealth is godlike in that it provides protection. It provides provision. That's what God does. He protects. He provides uh, food, clothing, shelter. It prov God provides joy. Money can provide a, a hit, a high, like that, the same thing. And so it becomes a chief substitute of a God, wherein um, a man or woman uh, uh, loves, uh, loves God, but really loves money in their heart and their wealth, uh, as this man is. And, uh, and so I ask the question, uh, or I make the statement, his love for wealth was really his God. And the Lord Jesus mercifully pulled back the, the, the covers of his heart to let him see his heart. That uh, in his case, a wealth in itself is not a bad thing. It's the love of money. And uh, Jesus told him, uh, you know, go sell all that you have. That's not a universal plea for all of us. Although a lot of us go like, well, I hope he doesn't ask me to do that. Right? We do that. Don't look so sanctimonious now. But he, and some would take it that way, uh, a vow of poverty, that's the height of spirituality. No, that's not the point. The Lord looks at this man's heart at this moment, and he is revealing to him that he is a lawbreaker, that his love of money is really his God, and he has not kept the commandments. And uh, the Lord is inviting him to have treasure in heaven, but his earthly transitory treasure, he allowed too great in his heart and so he walked away, brokenhearted, because uh, he not only had wealth, but his wealth had him. And it makes all the difference in the world. And so uh, I ask the question, is there anything that you love that is keeping you from God? Anything, any sin? You know, it's a daily thing. Is there any sin that drowns me from obedience and love of the Lord Jesus? Is there any relationship? You know, is there a relationship that I have that is not pleasing him, that, that uh, is coming between me and the Lord and what the Lord would have me to do? Uh, is, there, is there any love that you have that is keeping you from God, any treasure that you'll not relinquish? How difficult it is for prosperous people to receive salvation. And in fact, that's what the, he ends up saying here. Uh, if you look at uh, verse 24, uh, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. That's heaven. That means salvation. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He's talking about a sewing needle here. 
than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And then the disciples are shocked when they hear this because they've embraced the common prosperity gospel. In other words, the wealthy are wealthy because God has prospered them. He's been pleased with them. And if they can't be saved, or it's very difficult, they're like, there's no hope for anybody. See, they had the wrong theology there, and he's teaching. And then, then, then he said, what's impossible? He said, what's impossible with men is possible with God. That's his whole point in that. His whole point is, it's, it's impossible for uh, even the prosperous people to be saved. Uh, and if it's impossible for them, no one can be saved. It's all an impossibility, and that's true. Someone said, that, did you know you're a possibility? You know, you ever hear that? You're a possibility, you're this and that. The only way that you are a possibility for the kingdom of heaven is the miracle of new birth. It doesn't matter where you rank in wealth or personality or age, we are all under sin and judgment, and this, the miracle of salvation is a miracle, whether it's in a little child or whether it's in the oldest of folks, it is the miracle of new birth. And what is impossible for man, and most things are, have you thought about it? Most things are impossible, uh, and that they really are. I mean, we can't do very much, think about that, mostly, and, uh, and, but God can. Uh, it, uh, a camel through the eye of a needle. You know, it's harder for that. Trying to, you know, when I was a Boy Scout, I, part of that, I had to sew all my badges you know, on my uniform and all that kind of, kind of in the banner thing. And uh, learn how to, I could, I, where, where's the, I, I can't get it in, you know? <laughs> some of you are real good at that. Some of the ladies are real good at getting that thread through the eye of a needle. You had a camel, that was the largest land animal known to uh, those folks in that part of the world in that day through a little impossible. That's right, salvation is impossible until God draws men and women, boys and girls to saving faith. And that's his work. It's his work. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Well, lessons for our life. You have it printed out there in front of you. The Bible clearly teaches that life now is only the prelude. This is the prelude. Don't be confused. Keep a loose hand on things. Eternity awaits every one of us, and it is a long time. What will you say to God when he, I miss the word, he asks you why he should let you into heaven? I mean, the two, two ways, right? You, like a little child, receive the finished work of Jesus, or second, keep every one of the laws from beginning to end without any break. That's what we're saying here. How, what must I do to inherit all right, let's go, let's review. Here's, here's a command, here's a command, here's a command. I've kept them all. And he goes like, mm, I don't think so. Why not be like a child? And go like, thank you. That's, that's it. Number two, the Christian life is really like that of a child. We are saved by simple, unencumbered faith. Receiving Jesus' death as our own, then we walk the rest of our journey by simply trusting the Lord all the way home. Like the old evangelist, you say, home before dark. Home before dark. Simple, unencumbered faith. I know some of you are very bright and very well educated. You're a bright group. We like to, you know, but I, I'm sorry to tell you in a very humble way, God wants us like a little child to slip our hand in his, hear his word, and simply walk with him. Trusting him. Trusting him. You know, I'm doing that, and, and we are doing that as a church. 
We said that uh, a long time ago that unless the Lord goes before us and provides, we might as well, it, it, it's over. And we're just trusting the Lord to lead and to provide, and he is just like when they crossed the Red Sea and the Sinai, and God took care of God will take care of each one of you if you trust him. Saved by faith, simple, unencumbered. God said it, Lord, I believe it. God honors and blesses that. Number three, so if you're a believer, then trust him for everything. What's on you? What things are on your heart? Give them to him. Trust him. Like that child, wide-eyed, wonder, and trust, and dependency. Number four, and if you're hoping your good deeds will open doors, heaven's door for you, know that you're in deep trouble. You're in deep trouble. Deep trouble for you know in your heart that you've broken God's law more times than what you could ever count. How many times do you think you sinned? you think you know the number? It's like a running count. You ever see that depressing uh, national debt thing? That, 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 that's, that's really depressing. You see that thing, right? Hopefully that's not your personal credit card. Please see me if it is. Like I wonder if there's somehow a dial hidden in the back of your head with the hair. Oh, there it is. You know, like, uh, you know, we're into terabytes or something, whatever that terabyte. That sounds good. Sounds like Terry. Anyway, uh, number five, be encouraged. Here it is. Where God does a miracle every time a, a dead, blind sinner is born again, whether rich or poor, young or old, Jonah is right. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord does the impossible. He threads the needle. He does what we can't do. And that's how we're saved. Not through keeping the law. Can't do it. Although if you could, you would. 100% failure. We all miss it. All have sinned and come short. It's a gift. We're moving into Christmas time. Drives me crazy when I read of all the fighting and the shopping. With I was glad. I was looking for your names, making sure there were none. <laughs> oh, please, Lord. I heard Target had some episodes. Walmart, they were beating each other up. and Kind of strange people we are, aren't we? We're in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> we better pray. Father, thanks so much for the day and the hour. Thank you for the wonder of salvation. Thank you for Luke putting these two accounts side by side. It really emphasize there's only one way since we're sinners lost and lawbreakers to be saved, and that's through receiving G. I pray, Lord, that you would impress this truth on hearts, that people would be saved, even a boy or girl, man or woman, today here. And may we bear in our body this message this week to others. And we begin to move into the weeks of Advent, the coming of Christ, and Christmas. We love you so. Bless us, Lord. Dismiss us in a moment with your blessings. In Christ's name, amen.